Father, we come to you asking once again for your blessing. You are the only one that truly delivers those. And you do it because of your grace, how graceful you are and how merciful you are. You desire to bless us. And Lord, we desire to receive those blessings. And as we wrap up the eschatology here, the end times, we ask that you would fill us full of knowledge in your spirit and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's always people who aren't here uh, every week, and I gave a little bit of an intro last week, and there's just a little bit to finish up. But I told you in regards to eschatology and the end times things, I told you there would be an ingathering of the Jews in Israel. Ezekiel chapter 36 talked about that. It was fulfilled May 14, 1948, when Israel became a nation once again recognized by the United Nations. Russia and its allies will attack Israel, which hasn't happened yet, according to Ezekiel chapter 38. I told you also that Russia is gearing up for war. They just moved into Syria. They have tanks. They have armaments of all kinds. They have troops that are in there. And actually, Assad is trying. He's actually winning the war. I just read last night. It is turning around in Assad's favor. And I don't know if you've heard this, but there are people in the United States who want to depose Assad and stop the Russians from doing what they're doing. My question is, who would get in power if they stop Assad? Well, it stands to reason that ISIS is the most powerful group that is there. And so ISIS would probably take over another country. It is said that some others of the party that Assad belongs to would probably take over, but that is doubtful if Russia were to back away. Thirdly, there's going to be a worldwide change in economics. I talked about Spain, China, Greece, Russia, the United States, Canada, and even California right here and how there is potential for economic collapse. And also there is going to be a global identification and control system put in place in order to facilitate the government being in control of all economics. And I gave you some information about the cell phones that we have, and there are 2.16 billion cell phones out there. And I started to do the calculations on that, the number of times all the cell phones, the smartphones, if they were to check their cell phone 50 times a day, do you know how many times that is that it would be registered in the computers that people with their profiles and all the information have hits cumulatively? Do you know how many hits that would be in one year if everybody checked their smartphone 50 times? Of course, you wouldn't know the number, but it's 39.4 trillion times that you would be in there. From 39.4 trillion times that they check your, or you check your cell phone, if they wanted to get that information, would they be able to determine the behaviors of human beings pretty well? Yes, they would. That's just in one year. Now, those numbers are phenomenal, and they desire to control. There will be a realignment of countries and territories. This is talked about in Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 to 25. We see that taking place even today. There are will be a powerful ruler that will arise called the Antichrist. The United States is not mentioned as a player in the last days. And Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes leading up to the end. Actually, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 24, where it says this. (coughs) And you can read it for yourself. 
knowing that I'm not just giving you my words. And this is where the disciples had the question about the temple being destroyed, what would be the sign of his coming in the end of the age. And Jesus answered in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 24, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, those people who are the Savior, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are all the beginning of birth pangs. And, of course, we know that there are famines and there are earthquakes. I just checked the USGS website last night and last year. There were 38,000-plus earthquakes worldwide. And just this morning, there were at least a dozen that were 4.0 or greater around the world. You know, so we're always having these earthquakes, and God said there would be these earthquakes. And it's a sign that, well, the end's not yet, but it is coming. And so he told us to make sure we are aware of that. And when the end time events begin to unfold, it will be a surprise. It won't be a surprise to the Christian, but to the unsaved. In verse 37 of Matthew chapter 24, it says, As in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 38 says, For in the days before the flood, the people were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. So they thought everything was just as normal as it had always been. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And that's referring, you know, to the second coming, the day of the Lord that is going to show up. When all this stuff begins, people will be clueless. It will be a day just like yesterday. And all of a sudden, boom, it's, it's there it's happening. All the wheels of this machine are going to start rolling. And you think there have been changes in the last four years? You haven't seen anything yet. This guy will make the changes, the Antichrist. And I gave you all the information about the Antichrist last time. Also, the rapture will precede the period of the tribulation. Now, just to fill in the blanks here, I'm kind of hopping around. You had the nation of Israel and its reconstitution as a nation being prophesied. That happened May 14th, 1948. The next thing that is prophesied to take place is the rapture. The rapture of the church, and I'll give you the verses. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51. And you can go to John chapter 14, verse 1, and also Isaiah chapter 26, verses 19 through 21. You can go through those, and you can read about the rapture. But the rapture is where God doesn't allow certain people to die. The believers at the end of the age, when the rapture happens, will simply be translated, transformed, given a new body, meet the Lord in the air, and he will take us all to heaven, John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you, that where I am you may be also. He told his disciples, you know the way to the place that I'm going. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So you can only get there by Jesus Christ. Those Christians who are here at the time of the rapture will be taken out of the earth. At that time, those who thought they were Christians will remain Now, they may be the ones that become the Christians once they realize that what was prophesied came true. 
But also it says in those days there is going to be a great delusion that will take place that will deceive any, even the elect if that were possible, which means if you're not even destined to be saved, you're not going to get saved at that point. So it seems as if this delusion is going to be so magnanimous, so over-encompassing, so ubiquitous, so everywhere, and it'll be so evident to everyone The people that believe this great deception will turn to those who don't and say, are you crazy? The evidence is right in front of you. Why don't you believe this? And the evidence will be right in front of you. It will be a great delusion. And so most of the people during that time will not be saved. If people jokingly tell you, well, if the rapture is happening, I'll just wait to get saved. If the rapture happens, you know, right then, chances are you're not going to get saved during that time. And if you want to resist, you're going to have to resist to the point of dying. And that's where they take off your head if you don't get the mark of the beast, which the Antichrist will install. So that's what lies ahead. From that point, the rapture, you have the seven-year tribulation divided by three and a half years. You have the great tribulation that starts at the three-and-a-half-year point, which is the abomination which makes desolate, which is the prophet Daniel, where he sets, or he told that, we are told that the Antichrist sets up his image in the temple, declares himself to be God, to be worshipped as such, then God's wrath is poured out of the earth, and so is Satan's wrath. That three and a half years is going to be absolutely horrendous. I wish nobody any ill will at that point, but it is not going to be effectual at all if I pray that, because God's will is going to be done, and nothing is going to stop it. And the King James is as verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, this is going to take place, this is going to happen. After that seven-year period, Jesus comes back, destroys it, and subdues his enemies. He sets up his rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. After a thousand years, great white throne judgment, all the dead are raised from the dead. And they are judged at that point. They are thrown into the lake of fire. Those who don't believe in Christ, the ones who go to eternal righteousness, they will get new bodies, be transformed at that point, and we will have the heavens and earth destroyed, and we will go on to a new heaven and a new earth. That's all we know. From that point on... It's eternity, and it's going to be a great time. And I think I mentioned the past couple of weeks, we're not going to remember anything about this place because I believe it's going to be so great up there. So there are going to be increases in the military around the world, not so much ours right now, but everywhere else. They are gearing up North Korea, China, Russia, ISIS. Economically, there's going to be a big downturn coming to cause an economic collapse because that's how the Antichrist gets in, cause everybody great and small to take a mark. And you can't do that unless there's some kind of crisis. Politically, the world's going to be in turmoil. Spiritually, false religions are going to be on the rise. In at 19, the year 1900, <clears throat> in the 20th century when it began, Christians were 26.9% of the population. Muslims were 12%. In 2015, Christians are 32% of the world's religions. 32% of the world claims to be Christian. That is almost a 7% increase. Muslims, 25% of the world, which means they went from 12.4% to 25%. So that's over a 12% increase. Christians increased 6%. Muslims increased 12%. You extrapolate it out. Which religion is going to be the world religion if we give it more years? And if you look at the Middle East, what's happening? Do you know why that's happening in the Middle East as far as the um, um, refugees? 
And have you, have you heard anything about that? And Hungary, what's going on with Hungary? Hungary just decided they're going to put all their troops on the border because they don't want any refugees coming through and they have razor wire. And people are saying, don't, you're hurting the people who want to come in. Let them come into your country. And Merkel's taking tens of thousands of Arabs. And most of the Arabs, do you know who they are? Young men of ISIS fighting age. And you know what the imam said over in Iran? Invade their country and sleep with their women to take them over. That's the idea, that they flood the countries throughout Europe with those who are Muslim, and they end up taking it over just by overrunning the country. Now, you can see the increase in a religion that is opposed to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. In Islam, the God Allah is not a true God. And I will stand here and tell you that, and I know I'm blaspheming in the eyes of the Muslim, in the eyes of the Islam religion. I believe it is a false religion. I believe the Koran is false. I believe it is contrary to the Word of God. I believe it says things like, Jesus did not die, although he thought he died, and everybody thought he died, but he didn't really die. And Mary, she wasn't a virgin when Jesus was born. And Jesus was a prophet, but he was not God. Neither was he God's son. And you can beat your wife on your bed if you want to. And if they just throw those things in there. you know. And you don't even know if you're going to go to the next heaven. God is a, a precocious God. Not a precocious. He is a capricious God. He just does what he wants to. And some people make it and some people don't. And if you blow up in jihad, well, you think you have this promise of going to heaven, but you might not go to heaven. What did you think about 9-11? When lightning struck Mecca and a crane fell and killed, what was it, almost 200 people on 9-11. Did you hear about that? Ah, it's just coincidence. So what about this information? I'm wrapping it up here, this information that we've just gotten. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to make sure the timeline that I just gave you, you should be able to give it to others. You should be able to tell others what's going on with that. You need to inform them. You need to let them know what's coming. I've told all my family members. They all know. My extended family, the ones that I grew up with, anybody that I had a chance to talk to about it, I've told them, this is what's coming. Antichrist is going to come. And they've said things like, well, I just won't take the mark. Just because you don't take the mark doesn't mean you're saved, right? It means you're probably just going to die is what's going to happen. And then you're going to be judged for all eternity. So we need to learn this idea of biblical eschatology and tell others. And we are not supposed to panic about it. You see it coming? You say, well, this is prophesied, especially in a group of non-believers. When the non-believers, if you start telling them when, when there's a crisis and you're watching the television, maybe you're in an airport or something, and, or maybe you're at um, um, Fry's Electronics or down at Best Buy and something comes on the tube and you're all sitting there going, no way. You just walk by and calmly say, yeah, it's all prophesied to happen. How about that? It's, whoo, you just keep on walking. They go, what? You know, they, they want to know what's going on. Just plant those seeds. Or you're at somebody's house. You know, something like that comes on. There's a collapse in the European Union or something. And there's a reconstitution of the governments over there. Say, oh, it's just setting it up just like God said. What? What are you talking about? You want to be able to explain that to those who are there. And not worry and not fret. Because even if we lose our lives, we get another one that lasts forever. And so we don't have to be concerned. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says that we're not to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worry all of its own. 
If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Now with that, let me shift gears here. I've told you all of this information about what's going to happen in the end times. If you're not saved, it doesn't benefit you whatsoever. You've just got a lot of information and you might sit back and go, well, that's cool, I think. But if you're not saved, and I'm going to define what being saved is. If you're not saved, this, like I said, it would be like you're involved in a drug test. You know where they advertise on the radio? Just show up and you might be compensated for this drug test procedure on humans that we're doing and call up if you're interested. And it could be for ingrown toenail syndrome. It could be for, you know, whatever the case might be, they want to give you some type of drug or medication and test you and recompensate you or compensate you for the time that you spend there. Well, they do a control group and they do a test group. And you get in the control group. And what do you get in the control group? A sugar pill. Absolutely nothing. If you're not saved, it's like getting a sugar pill. It, it, you think it gives you a little nutrition or something? It really doesn't. It doesn't affect you whatsoever. But if they give you a drug that is the actual test drug, it might have an effect and change the ailment that you're suffering under. So with this eschatology, if you're not saved, it's a placebo. It is something that you're just gaining information. Now, what does it mean to be saved? It means you have, and most all of you know this, but I need to review it. Being saved is, you have said personally, I am a sinner. You have said that. You have said, I am a sinner before God. I have sinned and am under judgment. Because you read the Bible and you say, wow, anybody that commits this sin is going to be judged by God and separated from him for all of eternity. Now, you can name the sin. Ten sins in the uh, Ten Commandments, right? Have God, no other gods before me. Make no graven image. Do not take God's name in vain. Anybody ever done that one? Who in in here? I'm just curious. Who in here has never taken God's name in vain? Even by accident? You are a saint, Nancy. You are a saint. Have you ever told a lie? Why should I believe you? You see the point? So everybody is guilty of one. Now that is the good person test. You've heard me talk about that before. You're familiar with it. So if you haven't, or if you haven't come to the realization and said, God, I have sinned. Please forgive me of that sin. If you haven't said that to God, if you haven't verbalized it, for it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If you haven't turned to God and said, God, forgive me of my sin, then you are not saved. That's it. And you need to have some type of benchmark where you know you did that. Once that's done, you're supposed to go on to obedience. If you're not being obedient, how do you know you're saved? See that? Those two right there, that is a precarious place to be because there's all kinds of people that say, I'm saved. Really? You go to church? No. You know those hypocrites. You don't go to church. Okay. You know, the Bible says you're supposed to go to church. Yeah, I know, but, you know, all those are religious people, and they're just so religious, you know. They might be. But if you don't give your life to Christ and then bear the fruit, there is no evidence that you are saved. And Christ said, we will know them 
by their fruit, right? So, if you're not saved, you haven't confessed. If you have confessed and there is no fruit, you're not growing. It's like I said earlier. If you're not attending a Bible study where there's fellowship, where you're actually communicating with each other, I believe we die. Book of Proverbs, I just read that in the book of Proverbs, if we don't keep at it all the time, that we really just kind of fade away. We kind of go to the background. And if we go to the background, what assurance is there that we're saved? And you might say, well, I'm trusting in Christ to save me because his word said so, so I'm obviously saved. Really? Well, you're going to have fruit because Christ, before the foundations of the earth, determined that there are works for you to do. If you don't do those works, are you saved? Hmm. I don't want to be in that position where I'm going, am I really saved? I want to remove all doubt, right? So that's where we need to be. If you're going to be saved, you need to be obedient. Hence, baptism today. Now, at this point, you might be saying, boy, you are really trying to guilt me into getting baptized, aren't you? No, I'm not. I'm just trying to lay it out the way Scripture says. And a lot of times, when you give a message like this, people go, boy, that pastor was, you know, he just real pointed today wasn't he he wasn't very nice he wasn't like filled with love and grace and all that he was saying you know i should be a disciple that's what i'm saying we're all supposed to be disciples we're all supposed to be in the word we're all supposed to digest it now how many excuses can we come up for not being a disciple there you go for every second you can think of something else you can blame anybody you want to Now, if you really want something, are you going to go for it? You absolutely are. If you're going to go on a vacation, for instance, are you going to pull out all stops and it's a round-the-world vacation and you get to stop anywhere that you want to and it's going to be for three months and somebody says, it's yours free, are you going to say, yeah, well, I don't know. You don't really want to be committed. Are you going to just bust out the doors to get everything accomplished so you can go? But we don't do that necessarily for God. Many people do. It's like the old adage with the cell phone. When you forget your cell phone, do you go back and get it? When you forget your Bible, do you go back and get it? You see how that works? If you haven't had your devotion, do you make time for it? And we're all guilty of not doing that. Okay, so I'm setting it up here. If you're saved, you have confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. From being saved, you produce fruit. If you feel you're under compulsion to produce the fruit, the salvation probably isn't genuine. The person who is saved and just wants to do things, that is usually the transformation until you walk a little ways and you're always going to saying, okay, this is my responsibility. That's always going to be there. But we're supposed to be consistent in that over the years you can see the growth, the transition. With that... We go into baptism today. So what is baptism? The person who confesses with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, shall be saved. Then we go on. The first thing we're supposed to really do as a believer when we have the opportunity is to get baptized. What does being baptized mean? It means being dunked. It means being put into water and pressed down all the way to where you get completely submerged. And the words baptizo, for those of you who know this already, it's like taking a cucumber, putting it in a brine solution, pulling it out, and it becomes a pickle. You completely dip it in the water. That represents being buried with Christ, going into the earth, and coming back out of the earth and being transformed. 
That's what it represents. So that's what being baptized is. If somebody wants to be sprinkled on or poured on, if they're infirmed in some way, I have no problem with that. But the modus operandi in the Bible is water, lots of it, down deep. That's where we're going. Then you bring them back up. And what is the meaning of baptism? I just told you the meaning of baptism is it represents us being buried with Christ. You are identifying in front of people who are around you. And that's why it should be public. If somebody comes up and says, can, you know, is there a bathtub back there I can go get baptized in? Yeah, I would pack that bathroom full of people. I would stick them looking around like that. I, w- I would want to make sure that people witnessed what was going on. The more public it is, the more I like it. Uh, even when we've gone down to the bay and the beach before and baptized people down there, you always have people come up like, what are you guys doing? You give them the gospel right there. Would you like to get baptized? And you can be an evangelist right there on the spot. So the meaning is we're identifying with Jesus Christ just as he died and rose from the dead. We are vicariously experiencing the same thing. He did it for us. He died and rose from the dead for, for us. We are going to die and rise from the dead because of him. Now, going on with this, there is what is known as baptismal regeneration. Some people believe that if you are baptized, that that is what gives you the eternal life. It is not. It is not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience towards God. Roman Catholics believe this. Lutherans believe this. Some branches of Lutheranism believe this, that if you just get baptized in the Lutheran church or in the uh, Roman Catholic church, that's sufficient if you've been baptized like an infant. If you're in the Catholic church, they will ask you, have you gotten the baby baptized yet? Because if anything happens to the baby, well, maybe time will be taken off of purgatory or they'll go directly to heaven, you know, depending on God's purview, what he wants to do. Scripture is not like that. There's no work that can save you, including the work of baptism. The Church of Christ would say it is a work of faith. And so you have to do this as a work of faith, which is not true. Baptism is simply the representation of what Jesus did. Then there is the idea that it's a sign and seal of a covenant and a symbol of our salvation. I would say it's just, it's a symbol of our salvation. People see it and they go, that person is a Christian. You know, we're supposed to be witnesses out there. We're not supposed to just comply with everything that is said and do it in in our closets. We are supposed to be out there being witnesses in everything that we do. Now, who should be baptized? Everyone that's a believer. If you haven't been baptized, come on, man. Let's get with it. Let's get in the water. I don't care if you bring a full set of Farmer John clothing. We're getting you in the water and we're pulling you out. And this is for your benefit and for the benefit of everybody around you. And so who's who's supposed to be baptized? Everyone. Anyone who gets saved. It's a command in Scripture. We know this in a couple of different places. But it must be predicated on a testimony of true faith and repentance. If somebody comes up and says, I've just accepted Christ, can I get baptized? Absolutely. But if somebody just shows up, like today, when we have the uh, baptism going on, if a a family member shows up that doesn't go to church and they say, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're baptizing. I'd like to get baptized. Oh, let's put on the brakes. Second, have you gotten saved? Saved, what's saved? I just want to get baptized. It looks good. You guys are so nice. 
You know, can I just do that too? No, let's, let's talk about what you're doing. You want to identify with Christ. Oh, really? Yeah, well, what should I do if I identify with Christ? Well, you should become a disciple. Oh, really? Well, what does that mean? Well, that means like confessing with your mouth Jesus is Lord, getting baptized, and then studying the Bible, and doing all these things in fellowship, and going out and doing the good works that Christ demanded before the, or commanded before the foundations of the earth. That's what I'm supposed to do. And will you do it? And they can say either yes or no. So that's how it works. Should children and infants be baptized? Invariably, we have, or I should say inevitably, we have kids come up, and kids can be five, six, seven, and they turn to their mom or dad, and they grab their arm, and they go, I want to get baptized, right? And they go, well, let's go ask Pastor Bill. And so they come, and they ask me, and they say, Pastor Bill, little Timmy here would like to get baptized. What do you think I should do? Dunk them. Just go ahead and dunk them. I, I, you know, can you imagine a little kid, six years old, comes up, Pastor Bill wouldn't dunk me today. And, it, and they're going to remember that for the rest of their lives. If, you know, if I can talk to them and they have some type of idea what salvation is and they go to heaven, I would explain all that first. And they're that old, I'm just going to say, okay, I'm going to do it. Chances are when they get to be an adult, they're going to do it a second time. And they're going to say, you know, this is really something that I need to do. I, I, because I have truly given my heart and life to Jesus Christ. And I know I did it when, as, when I was a kid. And so you don't want to make it difficult for anybody. And so what if somebody has already been baptized? Can you baptize them again? Yeah, absolutely. Get them over there. If they want to recommit, just get them in the water again. The second time, maybe it'll stick. You know, it'll just, it, it, it'll cover them over and they'll be good and they can go on for the next time who in here uh, that got saved went forward more than once raise your hand see we want to make sure it sticks right so you go forward more than once you okay i just want to get this right i want to make sure that god has saved me Uh, does water baptism secure my salvation to where i won't fall away from the lord It won't secure your salvation. It won't keep you where you are. It's Jesus Christ who keeps you where you are. It's not a work that keeps you saved. Uh, And so if you got baptized as an infant, should you get baptized? Well, if you have come to faith in Christ, I would say yes. Get baptized. Because in Scripture, every example of baptism in the New Testament... was predicated on the confession of faith, which means the individual understood that they were doing. Infant baptism is predicated on the faith of the parents. It is not predicated on the faith of the child. And Scripture talks about that in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. It says, And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know good from evil. And say, they don't know what it is to follow Christ. They may have a childlike faith, but God calls us on to maturity. So, for everyone that is in here, let's just be obedient. Let's just get baptized. If you have confessed Christ and you haven't had the chance, it's the time to step forward. It's the time to be in fellowship. It's the time to say, look, I am confessing to all you who are here, and I want you to see that I am going to be truly a follower of Christ. That's what we need to do. Now, at this point, if you're just going, I've heard this before, I'm not doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not any skin off my nose. You know, I, I'm not going to sit there and 
beat you upside the head, although you may have felt that already. It's, that's not my task. It's the scripture that does that. And in addition to that, if you've been baptized, please show up for those who haven't. Please be there and encourage them in their faith. You know, a, a two-fold cord is not quickly broken, it says in Scripture. And, and threefold, once you get a threefold cord together, it will sustain anyone. And if you have believers together and they are intertwined together, uh, yesterday going down to Mexico, the fellowship, it was just, you could have put up 17 strands of hair and started to interweave them with all the people that went from Calvary Chapel Lakeside. And when you try to tug on that, there's no way that 17-strand cord is going to break. But each one of those strands, you could probably break it just pulling one. So we are strengthened when we gather together in fellowship. So why don't people get baptized? Well, ignorant. They really haven't had the proper teaching. They don't know about it. Some just procrastinate. Some are in defiance. Some are unregenerate, unsaved, and some are just indifferent. Make sure you are not any one of these. Make sure you're just getting baptized. Now, when we get to Steve's house and everything is being set up there, uh, we will end up doing the baptism first, and it'd be great if everybody shows up on time, but it is a wonderful time. And I would ask that you would be praying about your commitment, whether you have done it or not, or whether you should be there. Just ask God, okay? I, I want you to just simply go before him and say, God, do you want me to be there? Did you hear that answer? He wants you to be there. He wants you to participate. He wants you to be in fellowship. And if you had to ask him, God, do you want me to be baptized today? You know the answer. I don't have to tell you the answer in this. So with this, in closing, I digress just a little bit. If you have not confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are not saved. So what I'm going to do is say a quick prayer. I want everybody just to repeat it after me. If it's genuine, it'll stick. If it's not genuine, it doesn't make any difference. So please bow your heads and just pray after me. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask that you give me new life. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again on the third day. And I ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord and my Savior. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Now, if you've said this, if you have any questions at all about being a Christian, I will be at that baptismal, baptism until all the questions are answered. If you don't want to ask me, you can ask Eric. Eric is a walking Bible. He will tell you anything you need to know. So at this time, if you guys could go ahead and stand, we'll go ahead and sing our closing song.